Get excited. Get all excited. Hallelujah. If, if, if we were to put a title on the, today's sermon, it would be like father, like son. Like father, like son. We're looking, uh, we've been going through uh, uh, the Gospel of John, verse by verse. We are now in chapter 5, and we are going to be looking at verses 19 through 29, just 10 verses this morning. 19 through 29. Praise God. So, <clears throat> up until this point, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He went to, we, last week Pastor Wayne preached about the, that he went to the pool of Bethesda. And uh, there's a bunch of people there. They all need a healing. But Jesus heals only one person there. And it's a man that's been paralyzed for, what, 38 years and Jesus doesn't lay hands on him or anything, just you know, make a big fanfare out of it all. He just says, take up your bed and walk. And he does. And he doesn't say anything like when John and Peter uh, healed a paralyzed man. He was excited, jumping in and praising God and, and uh, uh, walking through the temple. And it caused a big commotion. And there was something interesting that I read in one of the commentaries is, why didn't Jesus heal all of those people there? And uh, apparently it wasn't his time. This is the third miracle in John's gospel. The first, of course, was the turning the water into wine. The second was uh, healing the uh, nobleman's son just by saying, go your way, your son's healed. And the guy believes God, Jesus. And uh, on his way home, his servants come out and say, hey, your son's healed. Well, what time did he get healed? And uh, they tell him, and he says, man, that's when Jesus said he was going to be okay. That's awesome. And then this is the third miracle. And Jesus just simply told the guy, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Hallelujah. So, <clears throat> this, you know, like I said, it didn't cause a big stir or anything. There was no excitement apparently recorded. But the Jewish leaders, the religious people, the religious police see the guy carrying his bed. Now, there wasn't a very big bed. Um, where did I? According to, um, according to somebody, <laughs> this was not, uh, you know, like a, a silly posturepedic mattress or something like that. It was a big bed is just like a mat that he was laying on so that he, he wouldn't, uh, you know, get too uncomfortable laying on the the, the pavement or the, or the whatever they had there. Maybe it was dirt. Who knows? So it's not real heavy. It's not a big thing. And the religious police, they see him. Hey, you're breaking the law. You're carrying a burden on the Sabbath. You're a profaning the Sabbath. This is supposed to be a holy day, and you are not allowed to carry anything. And so he tells them, I got healed by a miracle. I, and I think that the Pharisees or whoever these religious police were knew who this guy was. Hey, instead of saying, wow, what happened? They say, you know, how did you, wow, how come you're walking? You, you, we've seen you there almost every day, paralyzed. He hadn't given up. He hadn't got home. And they see him there. 
walking, carrying his bed, and instead of rejoicing with him, they say, you are breaking the law. You're under arrest for being healed. But that's not what the problem was. The problem was you're carrying a burden on the Sabbath. This is terrible, 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 terrible. And so they say, you know, what's going on? He says, well, some guy told me to pick up my bed and walk. And uh, they say, okay, well, instead of saying, how did you get healed? They say, what happened? Why are you carrying that? And they don't want to acknowledge that God did something powerful. This is a very strange story to me. They don't want to acknowledge that God has done something powerful in in their midst. And there they are looking at him and saying, you're breaking the law. Now, if you know anything about um, the Old Testament, what offended them so much? You're carrying a burden on the Sabbath. You broke the Sabbath. And then they get mad at Jesus because, you know, the rest of the story, Jesus finds him later and says, hey, you know, don't, don't uh, let this go. Don't sin and get something worse happen. And he goes and tells, the man goes and tells, oh, it was Jesus who told me to carry my bed. And uh, <clears throat> so the paralytic was breaking the law, but Jesus gets in trouble for it because he told him to break the law. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 21 through 22, God speaking through the prophet says, Take heed, bear no burden, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses, nor do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath holy as I commanded your fathers. These people were so meticulous about keeping the rules and regulations There was no room for error, no room for grace. And instead of rejoicing, like I said, this guy had picked up his little mattress and he's carrying it. This is not work. This is not work. I visited my dad in the hospital many years ago, and I believe I've mentioned this before. It's a Jewish hospital, Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, and I have a special elevator called the Sabbath Elevator. You can wait there at the door, and the elevator will come to every floor, stop, and the doors will open for you. You step inside, and the doors will close, and it will stop at the next floor, and so on, up and down. So you don't have to touch any buttons. You don't have to do any work, as if touching the button on an elevator is work. This makes them holy. This is ridiculous. This is absurd to tell the guy, you are working by carrying your bed. Amen? Doesn't it just make you wonder, what are these people thinking? Are they that meticulous? These are the same people probably that Jesus said, oh, you go in your garden and you count all the leaves on your mint plants and bring a tenth of your mint leaves in. That's way, way overboard in my opinion. There's no room for grace in that. Can you say amen? And they get so mad. Here's what I was looking for. The uh, Vines Dictionary says that this bed is, uh, the Greek word, is actually a Macedonian word, krabatos, which means a, a small bed or mattress or something that poor people lay on. 
When I was in the Fiji Islands, they, uh, people, they weave mats out of the, the grasses over there, and that's what they cover the floor with, and that's what you sleep on. And you can pick it up, roll it up, and take it with you. So he broke the Sabbath. Not only did he break the Sabbath, they confront Jesus. And Jesus tells him, tells them, the Jews in verse 16, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. This is how crazy those people are or were at that time. And I've seen a video of uh, some crazy people somewhere in the Middle East. They got so mad at somebody who did something, somebody blasphemed. And in the video, they kill this guy. They get big rocks and, and somebody, and they knock him down, and somebody gets a big rock and throws it on his head. And finally, the big chief guy who's in charge of this killing, okay, he's dead. We got rid of him. Whew. That's mind-boggling to me. Just because Jesus told the man to take his bed and walk and healed him miraculously, they want to kill Jesus. Not only that, but Jesus in verse 17, he says, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. So basically, Jesus says, <clears throat> I work with my dad. Me and my dad are in business together. And uh, they freak out because now he's calling God his father. But this is not unusual because in... Um, Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5, which is a, a, song that's a, a psalm that is a song, it says, sing to God, sing praises to His name, praise Him who rides on the clouds by His name, Yah, and rejoice before Him. He is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows as God in His holy habitation. Also in Psalm 89, verse 26, written by Ethan the Ezraite, who was a uh, contemporary of Solomon, but Solomon was wiser than him, but Ethan was wise also. Speaking of David the king, from God's perspective, and it says these words, he shall cry to me, and this is God speaking through the, the, the Ethan the Ezraite, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8, it says these words, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. So this is not a foreign concept to the Jews of Jesus' day. We are the clay, and you are our potter, and all we are the work of your hand. This is reminiscent of Jeremiah chapter 18 where Jeremiah is told by God to go to the potter's house and watch and see what he does. And the point is this, is that God, even though he rested on his seventh day, set things in motion and God is still at work every day, all day. Amen? In Philippians chapter 2 verse 6, it says, Jesus did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but the Jewish annotated New Testament says, but also something not to be relinquished. In other words, Jesus, he can claim that he's God and be equal with God 
and nobody really can criticize him about it. Psalm 121 verse 4 says these words, He who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God rested on His seventh day, but God is still at work today. Amen? So Jesus says to them in verse 19, and we'll pick it up here, He says, Truly I say to you, now he's using, notice it's truly, truly, not just truly. And the reason is I was reading somewhere that when God or the Holy Spirit causes the writer to repeat something, it's really important. Pay attention. I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So God is still working. Hallelujah. What offended them so much that he that made me whole, who told you to carry your bed, broke the Sabbath. What made them so upset that they wanted to kill Jesus? They pretend, according to Matthew Henry's commentary, the religious police pretend a jealousy for God's honor. Oh, you, you, being a man, cannot possibly say to us that God is your Father. Oh, that, that's way too offensive for them. He goes on to say that by calling God his Father, he expresses above all God's absolute authority, but includes his merciful love. God demands obedience, and God has love, goodness, and care for us. His relationship with Israel has many Old Testament references. Israel was chosen by God. Out of all the nations and all the tribes in Deuteronomy, you can read it where God speaks in, through Moses and says, you know, you are the least of all the tribes in the whole world, but I chose you, God says. And I became a father to you, God says. And they're upset because Jesus says that God is his, his father. I work with my dad. The Jews say, kill him. Jesus' defense, I'm telling you the truth. In the New Testament, there's a Greek word for father that's used mainly, and it's uh, believed, pronounced, Pater or pater, it means father. It's used 245 times in the New Testament. A hundred times it's used in John's Gospel. There's a uh, song by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. God is working. God is still working. Even though we don't see how, God is still working. So Jesus is telling them, I'm telling you the truth, truly, truly. I'm going to give you, he says, divine revelation. It's something that you can count on. What I'm telling you is awesome and great. Jesus is telling them, I do the same things that God the Father does, which is bless people. Amen? God likes to bless people. I like to get blessed. Do you? I hope you do. Praise God. Now you notice, we'll go to the next verse, 
because or for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Notice, this is a continuation, verses 20 and 21, of the revelation that Jesus is giving us about who he is and what he's doing here on earth. This, of course, is the third miracle, we said. It's a physical healing, and it's similar. This guy basically gets his life back. It doesn't say if he was born paralyzed or if he had an accident and became paralyzed or if he got sick and became paralyzed. Just before I was born in 1957, there was a terrible polio epidemic in this country. People were scared to death. You think the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic was bad? People were scared to send their children to school because this virus caused by this polio caused by a virus would paralyze you. How many ever seen a picture of a person in an iron lung? Had to spend the rest of their life in that machine to help them breathe and live. What a way to live. And this terrified people. They didn't want to send their kids to school. They didn't want anybody associating with anybody else because they were afraid that this thing would spread. So it doesn't, it doesn't say how this man became paralyzed. But he gets his life back. And it's a picture, an example, so to speak, of resurrecting from the dead. I asked a person one time if I want, they wanted to get prayed for so they could be healed. And they didn't want to be prayed for and get healed because then they would lose their government uh, stipend or whatever it was they were living on. They would have to go to work and make, you know, good grief, go to work. Oh, my goodness, what a terrible thing. Work is good for you. Can you say amen? It's some of the greatest therapy there is. You learn how to obey, learn how to be productive, uh, stay on task, <laughs> show up on time every day or whatever. We, we had one job every day. Four or five guys would not show up. So one day the, the big boss comes in on a Monday. And one of the foremen that happened to be missing Mondays happened to show up that Monday. And right in front of everybody, the big boss says, you know what? You could take the rest of the week off without pay, even though you showed up today, because I have heard that you have been, not been coming in on Mondays. And you're the foreman. Needless to say, I think he learned his lesson. <laughs> he had what we call the brown bottle flu. How many have ever heard of the brown bottle flu? It's a hangover from drinking uh, too much beer or whatever the night before Sunday night and you wake up and you can't get to work. Well, I'm sorry, but it's your responsibility to be here at work, is what the boss says. Hallelujah. Greater works, Jesus said, if you, so that you may marvel, but greater works than these. You know, it's really interesting not a whole lot of plants grow in the darkness. Mushrooms do, and they're fungus, you know. Then they grow on manure. Praise God. But most every other plant needs sunlight. And, that's the, and what happens is 
you ever watch a, a bean plant grow? It comes out of the ground, and then the two sides of the seed are on the stem, and then the leaf comes out, but then those two seeds, they die off. They basically give their life for the rest of the plant, and they die. But then the rest of the plant grows, and that's another example or illustration of new birth. Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone and brings forth no fruit. It has to die, and then it brings forth much fruit. And that's the picture of us being born again. Our, our old man dies, our old self dies, so that we can bring forth much fruit. Hallelujah. The Son. So notice also here, the, the, the Father, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. One translation says, He gives life to whoever He chooses. Or the Son gives life to whoever He's pleased to give it. Notice there's two things that happen here. The Father raises the dead and gives them life. How many were dead in sins and trespasses before Jesus came into your life and saved you? We all were. Amen. Hallelujah. So it's not natural for a person to be miraculously healed. It's supernatural. And these are the type of things that God does. For the Father raises the dead. How would the Jewish people know this? Because if they're familiar with Ezekiel chapter 37 and the story of Ezekiel and the dry bones, that was an awesome... Can you imagine standing there being Ezekiel and God says, hey, prophesy over the bones. And the bones start to rattle. I mean, they're scattered all over the place. And they connect one to another. And, you know, that's on the head bone connected to the neck bone and all that stuff. And then God says, prophesy over them. And he does again. And uh, muscle and everything forms on the bones. And then he says, prophesy again. And the breath of life comes in an arm. It's a great army, the Bible says, stands up before him. So, that would, uh, can you imagine watching that? Wow. God gives life to the dead. So they should have known this. And they continue, and Jesus continues on. For the Father, and then this is a continuation of the revelation that Jesus is giving to everybody here. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And we'll stop right there for just a second. This word judges and judgment, according to one commentator, is God has given administration to Jesus. It's not done by the Father and the Son. It's not like two different people doing the same job. The Father's in eternity. The Son came to earth, so God is working through the Son. Judgment, administration is happening, according to Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary. Vine's Dictionary says that this word judgment means judicial authority. Judgment is given to the Son. God is pleased to govern through Jesus. Second thing, three things. God is pleased to govern through Jesus. God in Christ reconciles the world by the atonement, 
We either stand or fall before God based on the atonement that Jesus procured for us. Sin, third, sin was judged on the cross so believers can place their trust in him and have the greatest assurance of salvation. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I wondered, is there such a thing? How can we be sure that we're really saved? Because it's not based on us. It's based on Jesus and the work he did. Therefore, because judgment is given to the Son, since the Father honored Jesus by giving him judgment, since the Father honored Jesus, then we should honor the Son just as we honor the Father. Think about this. If you insult an ambassador from another country, you're basically insulting that country and the ruler of that country. There's a, uh, an old movie, um, can't think of the name of it offhand, uh, but the Marx Brothers are in this movie. And if you know anything about the Marx Brothers, they're crazy, they're funny, they're hilarious, and Groucho Marx is the ruler of Fredonia. And they're in there at this social gathering, and uh, the ruler of another country's there, and they're talking, and, uh, and uh, the ruler of the other country is saying, you know, <clears throat> I forgive you for insulting me. And Groucho's standing there looking at him, and he's saying, you know, yeah, that was a, a silly thing that happened. And, and uh, the ambassador says, well, what, what was that that you called me anyway? And uh, uh, Groucho looks at him and, and uh, waits, and the, and the other ruler tells him, uh, was it imbecile? No, 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 it wasn't that, Groucho says. No, it's another word. So, oh, oh, I remember it was upstart. And uh, Groucho slaps him, whack. Goes, yes, that's what it was. And the, the guy goes, this is outrageous. This calls for war. Because he was insulted. Aren't you glad that in the world of the kingdom of God, when people insult Jesus, we don't go to war. We don't go crazy. We don't have riots. Because Jesus... He can take it. But on the other hand, it's a good thing for us to honor Jesus. Amen? We don't want to insult Jesus. We want to honor him. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. There's lots of religious people who think that they're honoring God, but they don't honor Jesus. It's like that bumper sticker. Uh, you know, live in peace with all, and it's got all the different religious symbols. Uh, you know, be tolerant of everybody. Well, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to put his foot down and say, you know what? He already said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus must have the preeminence. Let's go on. Here Jesus uses the words, Truly, truly, again, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, now notice here, has eternal life. This is in the present tense. This means, of course, that as soon as you place your trust in Jesus, you have eternal life. It's right, immediate, it's a transition that takes place. The Bible says we are translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious 
Son. And remember, it's the Lamb's book of life. It's not anybody else's book of life. If you believe that Jesus is entitled to the same honor as the Father, the follow-up here, it's an absolute certainty promised by Jesus when we believe that He was sent from the Father. This, here's something you can marvel at. You have eternal life immediately upon placing your trust and faith in Jesus. John, first John's first letter, chapter 3, verse 14, it says these words, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. How many know it's not easy to love people sometimes? But the Bible says that love of God has been shed forth abroad in our hearts. Wherever hears my word, Jesus said, and believes him who sent me on the great errand of mercy has eternal life. Does not come into judgment or condemnation, but has passed from death to life. That's good news. Can you say amen? Truly, truly. Again, here is Jesus giving us more revelation. I say to you, an hour is coming. In other words, it hasn't come yet, but the hour is coming. According to Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary, what he's talking about is the day of Pentecost comes in its fullness when Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit. And this is a separate event from is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This dead people is talking about people who are spiritually dead. Whoever, in verse 24, first Jesus said, whoever hears my word and believes, and then notice what it says in verse 25, the dead will actually hear the voice of the Son of God. And we know later on in John's Gospel, Jesus calls somebody named Lazarus out of the grave. He was dead, and Jesus called him. He heard his voice. I forget who it was. I think it was uh, Carmen, the Christian uh, musician, uh, made a, uh, I don't know if he made a video of it, but he made a recording of Lazarus hanging out in, in paradise with Abraham and uh, all the patriarchs of the faith, and he hears uh, uh, Jesus song, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes out of the grave. Praise God. The dead will hear the voice, and those who hear who live, will live. It's now here. Right then and there at that time and space, it was the beginning. It's now here when he said this. It's starting. Matthew chapter 11, verse 15, Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Luke chapter 8, verse 8, after telling the parable of the sower, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The spiritually dead come to life. In verse 26 and 27, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life 
in himself. This word life is the Greek word zoe or zoe. And we get the word zoo and zoology from it. It's life as God has it manifested in the world. According to Vine's Dictionary, according to the, what was the name of that other book I had? <clears throat> the NIV <laughs> Encyclopedia of Theology says that eternal life is the present and actual possession of the believer because of their relationship with Christ. When we begin our relationship with Jesus, we receive that eternal life. It's a gift. Amen? Hallelujah. It's not merely a principle of power. It has moral associations. When we receive the life of Jesus, we now have responsibilities to live a holy life and to appropriate God's righteousness. There are things in the world that should offend us. Amen? Things in the world that we should speak up about. One of the uh, Supreme Court justices is now backtracking, saying that it was a bad decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. It's a demonic decision to put it back in place. I do not for the life of me, understand how anyone in their right mind could think that abortion on demand is okay. It's murder. It's human sacrifice. How, oh, it's just a clump of cells. Oh, it's just uh, an embryo. Oh, what kind of embryo is it? Is it a frog embryo? No, it's a human embryo. It's a human being. Amen? We have responsibilities. That's why you should vote. Vote for people that believe that abortion on demand is not okay. Vote for people who believe that transgender's uh, nonsense and is, is confusion. Can you imagine? I saw uh, there's a young lady. Uh, she's I think she's 18 years old now. She, at 12 years old, I was watching the video last night, a uh, press conference. At 12 years old, she thought she was a boy. She was a tomboy. So the stupid doctors did all kinds of manipulation for her, and now she says, now I realize I'm a woman, and I'll never have kids. Because this 12 years old, this, this young lady was confused, and now the doctors have mutilated her, and she regrets it, and her message is, you're being lied to with all this nonsense. And somebody's putting a lot of money into it. Homosexual marriage, transgenderism, confusion. Somebody's putting a lot of money behind all of that. Abortion on demand. Somebody's putting a lot of money to promote this stuff. We should be putting a lot of money into the kingdom of God, amen? We're in a spiritual battle parable of the sower talks about the seed being planted and some hear it and it brings forth fruit. Life. The Father has life in Himself so He's granted the Son also to have life in Himself 
And the Father has given Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And this is a reference to uh, Daniel, the prophet, talking about the Son of Man and the judgment that was executed. Sin was judged on the cross. Can you say amen? has moral implications for us when we receive Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, and chapter 42, verse 1, and chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of God endued Jesus with power, with the life of God, to break the yoke. Life as God has it manifested in the world. Jesus was appointed as judge. Yet he experienced life as a human like us. When the judge says this is the decision, it's the decision. It can be appealed, but there's no appeal when Jesus makes the decision. He gives life and he executes judgment. And then we'll finish up with these last two verses. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, will hear his voice and come out. Stop right there for a moment. This is a direct reference to Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, a prophecy about the end time. Many who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life because of grace, and some to shame and everlasting contempt because of rejection of Jesus because of rejection of the grace of God that has been extended to every single human being. The hour is coming. It will surely arrive. The sad truth is that sinners will raise from the dead only to be dead again. But those of us who believe in Jesus, if Jesus doesn't come before we pass into eternity, before our physical bodies expire if he doesn't come before then and our physical bodies expire and we put our body in the ground or whatever we're going to be raised again from the dead it's guaranteed because Jesus rose again from the dead in Acts chapter 17 <clears throat> Paul the apostles there in, in Athens and he sees the uh, People have lots of gods. And he says, you know what? I found one called the unknown God, and I know who this unknown God is. Truly, he says in verse 30, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but God now commands all mankind everywhere to repent because God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, of course, that's Jesus, and he has given us assurance of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. That's the proof. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. They didn't take the body and hide it. He came out of the grave with power, raised again from the dead by the power of the Spirit of God, and that same Spirit lives in us who believe. Of course, Verse 32, when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some others mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. I remember one time I was down on the U of A campus, 
and I had some little Bible tracts, and I went to give it to a young man, obviously from a Middle Eastern country, and he says, what is this, a game? And I said, no, it's about the Son of God. And he looked at me and he said, oh, I know you're joking because God can't have any children. But the sad truth is, this man mocked. He couldn't figure, he couldn't comprehend how God could have a son, how God could come to earth. I remember talking to a Native American guy I was working with. I said, you know, the thing about Jesus and the amazing thing, the marvelous thing about Jesus is that God actually came to the earth and lived here on the earth and walked and talked, lived and breathed and ate and laughed and cried, I'm sure, and sweat great drops of blood that God actually visited the earth, the God who created all things. He says, all other religions, I told him, are man trying to reach God. Jesus is God coming down to reach us. What a marvelous thing. There's, we, we, I don't know about you, but I know for a fact that there's no way I would make it to heaven on my own. No way. No, absolute no way. I Just leave it at that. Praise God. But God has made a way.